You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. So recently a friend and podcast listener pointed out to us that many of our episodes talk about search and reunion, especially now that Hannah and I have both reunited. But of course, not all adoptees who start a birth family search reunite, and not all adoptees even want to search in the first place. Sarah Dokin Morgan estimates that 22% of Korean adoptees have actively searched for a birth family, which we think is important to point out since the quote-unquote birth family search has become such a dominant theme in adoptee stories and in adoption narratives. So in light of National Adoption Awareness Month, we wanted to expand the narrative to include adoptees who search unsuccessfully over an extended period of time and whose journeys are obviously equally important. Hannah chats to her old friend, Allison Yost, who shares generously about her birth family search and offers some personal tools, guidance, and a longer-term perspective. Allison Yost is a Korean adoptee from Hershey, Pennsylvania. She works as a registered nurse and has two children who are five and seven years old. Since participating on Goal's First Trip Home program in 2010, she's been actively involved in the adoptee community. She administers a few adoptee groups and pages on Facebook, and she's active in her local adult adoptee groups, Korean Adult Adoptees of Central PA, shout out to them, and Tari. Recently, Allison became a member of the Advisory Council for the Korean American Adoptee Adoptive Family Network, aka KAAN, and she has presented numerous times at their yearly conference on various topics including adoptee milestones, parenting, relationships, stereotypes, and microaggressions. Hi, Ali. Thanks for chatting to me today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Would you like to briefly tell us your adoption story? Sure. Uh, my adoption story sounds fairly common. Uh, I was adopted at four months old. I was born uh, in the Pusan area in supposedly to a single mother. Uh, the maternity home actually that I was born in doesn't exist anymore. But my Korean adoption agency was Eastern Social Welfare Society. Yeah. I had a foster mother and was adopted in June of 1984 to the United States. I guess there were a lot of adoptees that came over in the 80s. And then basically grew up in central Pennsylvania. There was not a lot of diversity in the area. I had a, hmm. had a decent childhood. Uh, I spent most of my childhood, though, trying to fit in. Looking back on it, I feel like most of of all the social interactions were just trying to to fit in with other people that didn't look like me. Actually, funny story, there was a, another Korean adoptee in my school since elementary and she had the exact same name as me and even spelled the same. Uh, spelled differently, question. spelled differently. Okay. But even so, but people the same. Right, yeah. right. People would still get us confused and basically thought we were the same person because I had people come up to me and ask me about ice skating because the other Allison ice skated. And uh. then I'd be like, no, that's the other Allison. <laughs> and they'd look really yeah. confused. Like, what? <laughs> There's two of you? Um, so that was a bit awkward all growing up. Um, I think Do you as remember what that felt like as a as a child? I think it was more confusion. I was confused how someone could get two different people confused that looked nothing in my mind alike, other than the fact that we were Asian. Right. Right. Yeah. 
looking back on it, I think I feel it was, I feel a lot different looking back now as an adult. I think that was pretty, pretty horrible <laughs> that that happened. Mm. Mm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, nonetheless, um, you know, basically that was my childhood. And, yeah. you know, in my late 20s was really the first time that I had interest in birth searching or anything about Korea, anything about adoption. I kind of pushed it away as a child. Uh, my parents would take me to adoptee functions as a child, but I didn't really want to engage. And it wasn't until my late 20s when I was engaged that I really wanted to know more. Um, so basically Googled Korean adoptee conferences and found a conference in my area as well as the same time I googled trips back to Korea and that's how I found my first trip back to Korea which was school's first trip home I applied yeah. and was accepted which you obviously know about <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we met on first trip home and we're the same age and we were adopted through the same agency through Easton and we went to Easton um together on the same day nine right. years ago and I reunited and at the same time um there was very little information in your file and you know it only really hit me um like this year when I helped out on the first trip home program like how difficult that must be for for adoptees that really like hardly find any information to watch other people at the same time like reunite and you know yeah you know they're really excited about that obviously and sure. they're like showing people pictures and then they're like skipping parts of the program to like spend time with their birth family and I don't know I just I was completely I think oblivious to that nine years ago but how was first trip home for you I guess like on the other side well, I mean, to answer your question, I think, and I know it's always been a concern reuniting and wondering how other people feel about it and when you want to talk about it, uh, being conscious of my feelings. But quite honestly, me personally, I, I mean, of course I was disappointed, but at the same time, I was thrilled that so many people could reunite. Uh, it definitely, I definitely feel emotional thinking about, I mean, I could hear you and your your event, uh, but I could not see it. So I, I can hear everything when we went back to the adoption agency in my mind to this day, like it was yesterday. Really? I, yeah. Is that day clear for you? It's very clear for me. Oh, I, I mean, I, that day was a blur for me. I sure. Just, well, sure. I, mm. it was the whole trip in itself. The, the whole first trip home for me was life-changing and it was a blur for me at times as well I don't know if it was just the sleep deprivation or the time change <laughs> uh, or just yeah. all the emotions and being emotionally drained for the trip and you know maybe I blocked out a lot maybe I, I really didn't start to process it until much later I think it took yeah. me months I don't know how it went for you, but like maybe I'm still processing, and I do, and I do <laughs> yeah. nine years later, and I and I do have a, a desire to go back. I have this like burning urge now to go back to Korea. Yeah, 
Um, I did reunite with my foster mom, which I thought was super cool because not everyone got to reunite with their foster mom. She was busy or, you know, just couldn't meet on the day that we were going, which is understandable. But I feel lucky I got to meet my foster mom, got a picture. We have since exchanged a letter or two, but I was told by my agency that it's not normal for Korean women who are older to exchange handwritten letters. So um, we don't exchange letters anymore. Um, I don't know. I think some of the hardest parts of the trip for me was sort of like an out-of-body experience was walking the streets and seeing people that looked like me, but yet I didn't feel like they did. I didn't feel necessarily like I belonged. Maybe it was the loss of language or the culture that I'm not super familiar with. I, I find myself saying, yeah, I'm Korean, but then feeling like, but am I really? Because I couldn't tell you all about the culture, the history. I don't speak the language. So it's certainly an issue that I, I deal with today. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you see a lot of the elderly there walking the streets in Korea. but oh, yeah. Yeah, and they collect cardboard boxes uh, for money. And I had a really hard time seeing these elderly women walking the st- or men walking the streets collecting boxes for minimal money and i thought what happens if they're my family that person could be someone i'm related to and i felt this sense of sadness because i have no idea yeah um also uh, i did go back to pusan where i was born with a translator and had no idea but when we arrived the place the maternity home that i was born no longer existed so i had in my mind that we were going to visit the maternity home or the location that it used to be and i was wondering if i would find files or pictures and when we showed up to busan it we learned that the building itself and the address did not exist and that was a little heart-wrenching because then the police officer was like well i think this is the address where it used to be and we went and i stood on the sidewalk and there was a, a part, yeah. you know, an apartment or a house there. And I wondered, is this really where I was born? I mean, there's no way to know. And I have a picture of that to this day of me just like standing on the sidewalk wondering if this is where I was born. But positive of the trip, I got to meet a lot of international <laughs> adoptees. I got to meet you. <laughs> uh, a lot of other adoptees from different countries that I thought was really cool. It's been so nice to like, like I never thought that we would necessarily stay in touch for so long, you know? Yeah, and I think it's sort of a bond. I feel, I don't know how you feel, but I sort of feel like it's a bond because we shared such a deep emotional experience together. Yeah. That I sort of feel connected to you because you understand. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, it's kind of nice that we're like the same age and, I don't know, from the same agency or something, yeah. (laughs) And it was just the two of us that went back. It wasn't like a huge group of people. Yeah. Uh, We got to volunteer in the baby room for a while and that also is something slightly traumatic (laughs) that plays in my mind again. Um, Just at that time, they didn't have a lot of help. I've, I've since heard they have more help in the nurseries at the adoption agencies, But when I saw there was, like, one helper, one adult for, like, 30 babies, and they were all just wailing to be held, that was a bit traumatic for me. Yeah. It was also uh, traumatic for me when I visited my orphanage, and 
Like the the ratio of like staff to to little girls was um, was higher, right? But it's like those little girls were still so like needy for attention and right. like one on one time. Yeah, it was um, upsetting. Mm. So I was wondering, you so you did first trip home like just before you were already engaged, right? And like right. A lot was going on in your life, like, as soon as you got back from the trip? Right, right. I tried to process a trip, but I really didn't have time, because then the trip was, what, October? And um, maybe even into the first week of November. And and then I came back in in December, got married (laughs) in Jamaica, so I had to plan this wedding. (laughs) And at the same time, I came back, and I felt like I was a completely different person. Wow, that's crazy. You know, I wonder if that happens... I wonder if that happens to a lot of adoptees, like, and I wonder, I mean, you don't have to talk about this, but I wonder how it impacts relationships when, yeah, it, because it does change you. It it's, does. Um, There's no way around it's, it. It's really hard for, I think, a partner to understand what you've been through. Sure. Yeah, because they weren't there. There's really no yeah. way for them to feel it because they didn't go through it, but I think that they can have sympathy and, and try and be supportive. I mean, that's all we really ask is to try to understand where we're coming from and not judge and be unsupportive um, because I think that's where we run into issues. I think, though, it's like... I can imagine it would, it would be hard for the other person to... I don't know. I guess they probably don't expect you to, like, come back, like, changed in such a way. And I don't know. I, I think it, it, it must be hard for them, it, like, maybe if you come back and you, and you have, like, a lot that you need to share and process, it's it's probably, in, in some ways, I think they would, they might need support, too. You're right. Maybe. Maybe. Because they're dealing with someone that they care about that's going through something and they don't know how to help or they don't know how to understand. But they just know this person's changed. And it might not always be for the positive it might be you know there's a dark time like that really when you're trying to process everything you sort of go into a a dark state um just trying to process it all yeah oh it's like i it i mean even though i had this kind of like um happy successful reunion experience um it also completely yeah that was really messy and and hard i think the following probably the year the, the whole Yeah. The whole following year. Yeah. (sighs) Can you also tell us about your birth family search efforts since then? Because I know that you've, um, you've tried a lot of different things. Yeah, I've really tried a lot of different avenues. Um, right now, right now, currently I haven't been doing much searching. It sort of goes in phases. I'll get hooked on something or think of an idea of how to search or I'll get an email and I'll and I'll take some time to search and then I'll sort of put it off for a while again uh, months or even a year so I haven't really been active but I also sort of feel like I'm running out of ways to search I've really done a lot of the different common ways to search for birth family Uh, it's also difficult because things move a lot slower I feel like uh, here in the United States, we expect answers immediately. 
And a lot of times, um, at least the adoption agency I was going through would take weeks or months to even respond to an email. And I've seen on various other social media that that is not uncommon for that to happen. And it's frustrating because this is something really important to us. And yes, they're busy, but in the other sense, like no reply is, is hard as well. So, oh yeah. Yeah. And I, look, I mean, I guess I don't make a secret of my dislike for Easton, but, um, I don't think that's, I don't think it's their highest priority, put no, it that way. It's certainly not. Um, so I did do, when we were in Korea for first trip home, we all had the, the option of doing a recording on YTN, which they did air for birth family, uh, searching. And also later I did a live Korean TV show on KBS called I Miss That Person, I believe it's called. And I did Skype in here from the States into their TV show and did tell my story on live TV. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was a bit different as well. And they did tell me that they had someone call in and thought they were my birth family. And they did email me that, and I was like, what, what? And then quickly, right after, they were like, it's, you know, send your DNA over. And then within a week, they were like, it's on a match. So that whole thing has me a bit unsettled as well. Um, I've certainly heard about people calling in on these TV shows who are actually a DNA match to be birth family, but then the TV show has told them that they need to reunite on live TV. And of course, for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable. Whether that be their yeah. family is not aware that they have other children, whether it's they just don't feel comfortable going on live television for something yeah. so intimate and emotional for whatever the reason, but they'll say no. And then what happens is the TV show tells the adoptee that they're not a match. Right. <laughs> when indeed they so were. So you've heard that from, from oh. other adoptees. Yes. Yes. So it really made me wonder. I never saw the DNA results. I don't know if it was ever really run. Oh, um, gosh. Yeah. Sort of a hard thing to think about. You, Ali, you've done, you've done so much over the years. I mean, I think, I think it's amazing, like, the effort that you've gone to. And it must have, like, it's, I, it's emotionally exhausting to do all those things as well, you know? Like, it really it takes a lot. So, I mean, other avenues I've done, lottery tickets in Korea, that was sort of a last-ditch effort. Um, I've had my, supposedly they put my picture and my story on the back of a lottery ticket in Korea. I didn't see it, but supposedly that's what happened. I did have an article in Guidepost magazine in Korea with my story and my picture. I did see that. I've had police officers send letters to people that had my birth mother's name in the area that I was supposedly born without any reply, um, which later the I was told that the my birth mother's name may not be tr- may, may be falsified because it's very similar to like a John Smith here. <laughs> it's a very common name. So that maybe it's made up. What is it? My mom's birth. My mom's birth name. Yeah. Um. I think it's like. I. I. I um. I don't even. Oh, that's. I couldn't okay. even. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't even tell you right now. Um. I did know it for a really long time, and then I think since they told me it might not be real, I think I like stopped remembering. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't even know if this is real. I don't. 
I'm going to kind of block that out for now. <laughs> you yeah. can do a lot of blocking. Yeah. Um, KAS has helped try to search. I've done multiple DNA testing through um, Family Tree DNA, 23andMe, and I think I did another DNA test and then uploaded them all to GED Match. And I, and I will check on occasion if I have any new matches. I do get alerts and I'm always hopeful, but then I, I, lately I've been, I'll check on occasion if I have any new matches for DNA, but I'm always let down and disappointed. So I try not to check as often because yeah. usually when I do log in and check my DNA matches, it's mostly other Korean adoptees. And they're like distant cousins. I might have a fifth cousin uh, but there isn't any high match with the DNA. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's a way that I can never lose hope because a lot of adoptees reunite on DNA. Like, I constantly read stories of DNA working for people. So I think it's a positive that we have this option this, today to do DNA uh, testing at a reasonable price. But yeah. for me, you know, I've definitely stopped logging in as often, sort of put all of the searching to the side and trying to focus on my family and my life here and maybe trying to come to the realization that I may never find my birth family and that I have to be okay with that. Um, it definitely feels like a hole, like a missing part of me that I carry with me wherever and things certainly spark that feeling, but I think I'm trying to struggle with now that I need to be okay, that I may never find my birth family. And, and sometimes actually I get a little angry because I've done so much searching for nine years that I sort yeah. of, I'm like, why isn't my family looking for me? Do they know about me? Do they have another family? So they're scared. Is my mom even, is my birth mother even still alive? She may not be. I mean, did anybody know about me? I mean, there's so many different questions. It's exhausting to think of all of the possibilities. Yeah. Um, but I do kind of like wonder, I left a letter at the adoption agency and you know, there's only so many Korean adoption agencies. I'm just like, if she could just go and ask and give the details, I think I can be found fairly easy. So in some way that runs through my mind too. Like I've been putting so much time and energy and emotions into looking and other people have helped me. And has she looked? I, I don't know. Is, is she even alive? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's a pretty natural feeling. I mean, I remember, I remember my birth family saying that, Oh, they didn't feel like they had the right to look for me first because they were like, we don't want to disrupt your life. We, um, yeah, like we're the ones that gave you up. So now it's like, right. They, they were just waiting, but I, but I understand. I was like, yeah, you know, and especially, you know, when you, you hear from adoptees whose birth families initiated the search for them, like rather than the other way around, it's like, right. Yeah. And anyway, it makes you think about all those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I really think having my own children definitely sparked a lot of my feelings to push for a birth family search because I wanted to have questions answered. I wanted to have a health history. I wanted to, to, to be able to tell my children my story. Uh, I have a lot of unanswered questions. So that kind of like 
it kept the search going for you. It kind of like fueled it for you. Yes, for sure. I would say it definitely sparked interest in me when I knew I was going to have my own, my own children. Um, I, I heard a lot of statements. They look just like you, but I didn't really know what I looked like having somewhat of an identity issue. Uh, I wasn't ready for that milestone of when my children hit the age that I was adopted or even the time frame before that from birth to what four months when I was adopted I was like wow I don't have these moments I don't have pictures of of myself when I was this young and so you know really I think no if I was told if someone told me hey uh you know when you have your own kids or when your kids hit the age you were adopted, you might have some strong emotions and they might flood out. And and just to be aware ahead of time. And honestly, that's why I try to educate others at conferences about this possibility. And it may not happen for everyone, but just to be aware that it could be and just to have extra support and be kind to yourself because it really hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, I was not prepared for how I would feel after my son was born. You know, my first, my first was child. Was it particularly with your first child? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was an overwhelming. I mean, I was just crying. And yeah, it was hormones and sleep deprivation and not sleeping and feeling overwhelmed as a first time mom in general. But a lot of feelings flooded out that I had buried yeah. inside. Wow. You know, actually, um, I've heard from another adoptee, uh, it was more with her her second child that she said, yeah, like she wasn't, she really wasn't expecting it, but it was again around the same time that, yeah, that when, right. when your child is that age where you were adopted or. Yeah, I, I don't think it's uncommon. Right, right. Did you have support yourself when that happened or did you, I, did you talk to people about it? I don't, I think... I was just really getting involved in the adoptee community, like an active participant. And so right. I think I did reach out to other adoptees for support, which is because they get it. Um, but I still felt pretty alone. It was something I had to process on my own. It was my own experience. And what one, what I felt isn't going to be the same as what someone else felt. Yeah. And that's okay. But, you know hearing others talk about their experiences and being able to relate makes me have some sense of comfort and i hope that for sure that this this podcast can can help others not feel as alone because i did feel sort of isolated going through everything that i did it's a bit terrifying actually like if i ever have kids i feel like (laughs) if i have kids and like they yeah they get to like around three three and a half i'm just i'm just gonna like have a breakdown (laughs) hey i mean you may or may not and if you do (laughs) you have support yeah no it's nice to know i have friends um who are already mums yeah I, I was also wondering, I guess because we're friends, I know um, that your American mom has has been ill for for a long time now. And I wonder if I can ask you um, how did that or or did or did that at all impact your feelings about birth family search? I sort of, yes, yes, it did. Um, 
I would say initially when my mom was diagnosed and that was almost that was wow like seven years ago I mean she was diagnosed stage four cancer Um, it's a miracle that she's survived past the prognosis and you know when I found that out I did feel this urge to go back and search a little more actively because I knew I was going to be losing my mom at some point and I was looking for family because she's really someone that I'm close to I don't really have a really close-knit family so I feel she's very close she's a strong one of the probably the most you know most important in the family dynamic and I knew that if losing her meant then who would I have so it did spark me going back to try to search and it it was sort of frantic I I guess it was a couple years ago but I, I guess I sort of felt frantic to search Um, but I also felt a little sad because I did hear my mom on the phone, overhear my mom on the phone telling her friends that she felt sad for me. And I thought this was, you know, this really sticks in my mind. She said to her friend, you know, Allie's lost a birth mother. She's lost a foster mother. And now she's going to lose another mother. And... Mm. Wow. Never, you know, never really thought of it like that. But it certainly brings up a lot of emotions because that's just a lot of loss. Yeah. Yeah. When did you hear her say that, overhear that? Probably right when she was diagnosed. Oh, right. Yeah. So I guess... um, hmm. I guess she's she's been supportive of your of your search in that case. Um, she is. I felt, you know, I, I think I told you this that when I went on this trip, I wasn't really completely honest with her. Now she knows that the intent was birth searching because I didn't know how she would feel about it when the wedding was coming up so close, and I didn't want to strain our relationship so close to the wedding. Right. So I sort of made it seem like this is my first trip back to Korea. We're going to learn the culture. We're going to explore, which is true. But I didn't, I sort of, I didn't tell her that it was a birth family search sort of trip as well Um, until later. And she said, oh, I would have been supportive. I had no idea. That's really amazing. You met your foster mom. And um, she's she's always been supportive of me. But I, I had that fear because I've heard and I didn't want to hurt her feelings. I didn't want to hurt her feelings that um, I was doing this searching because, you know, you hear adoptees saying, oh, well, my parents found out I was searching and then they thought I was ungrateful or they thought that I was, you know, whatever they're thinking, their feelings were hurt. And I didn't want to cause that, whether right or wrong, that's their feelings. And I didn't want to cause any upset tension between my mother and I before my wedding um yeah oh fair enough like yeah completely understandable yeah yeah. I think I mean I told my my parents and my sister that I was doing um a search but but I was still like terrified that um before I left on the trip that something I don't know that they would yeah that they'd be hurt or offended or just something in some way right right and that worry and stress is enough to deal with in itself and then 
go on the trip itself. I mean, I had so much build up emotion on the trip over. I think I like started crying for like an hour or two on the plane <laughs> on my way over to Korea. I was just so overwhelmed by by everything and unsure of how I'd feel and what I'd see and who I'd reunite with because at that point Gold didn't tell you if you would reunite or not necessarily beforehand and it was a lot of feelings I mean the lady on the plane next to me was the Korean woman and she was trying to give me chocolate <laughs> she was like dude and we had the language barrier and she just kept shoving chocolate at me and I'm like I'm okay <laughs> like she had no idea what was going on <laughs> yeah that's very Korean like to you know to show your um care by like you know like eat eat <laughs> So you haven't been back um, since first trip home. Correct, correct. Do you think, I don't know, I mean, I know that your kids are still pretty young. Do you have any kind of plans in the, I don't know, near or distant future to come here? I really think I need to go back. I have this, I don't know if other people feel it, but once they go back once since they were adopted, it's like this burning urge that you have unfinished business. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't have enough time to fully grasp everything, to take it in. There's things I want to do. I, I want to try one more time, one more search. You know, I want to go to a police station and leave my information, my DNA. I, yeah. you know, could hand out flyers in the area. I feel like I can have one more, one more try and then maybe come to terms with, like, I've tried everything. I, I need to go. It's just when is the right time to go. It's hard with children when you're responsible for, you know, picking them up at a certain time and from school and all their activities and depending on someone else to do it. I certainly don't want to put that on someone else, but I really need to go back at some point and and take time to do what what I need to do to finish my searching. And I'd also I also just I feel a sense of I feel like a foreigner in Korea, but I also have a sense of calm. It's it's confusing. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that I'm here when you come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of I kind of get goosebumps when, like you know when you talk about yeah doing and you know I guess going to Busan in the area where you were born and doing like another um, active birth family search in the area. Um, I want that for you too. <laughs> yeah. So I guess there's a sense that people who reunite still want people who haven't to reunite. And then on the other end, you know, I feel a sense of happiness that other people are reuniting, whoever it may be. That's just one more person to reunite. There's hope for me. It gives me hope when people reunite. It doesn't bring me a sense of sadness. Uh, no, yeah, no, but I mean, I think, I just think, you know, when I think about the way that, like, our search and reunion paths kind of, like, went in, in different directions, I mean, it must be hard it must be hard sometimes, you know, when you're like really part of the community and a lot of your friends are also Korean adoptees. Um, I'm not saying that 
people that haven't reunited are, like are resentful at all. But I think you know, like it must be difficult sometimes. Um, not really for me, but I think yes. Uh, in general, I don't think it's unusual to feel. Uh, resent or anger or you know sort of like why couldn't I why couldn't this be me am I not important enough or you know am I not good enough that constant are we not good enough thought that floods our mind uh yes like oh do I maybe I don't deserve this correct some level correct yeah um and correct I mean those things maybe for a fleeting second run through my mind but then I'm like no it's just not meant to be and you, and then I say I don't know the circumstances and uh, sort of deflect <laughs> um. I was wondering like in general how do you think maybe people who have reunited can support others who haven't the best way honestly just listening to us and hearing us out and offering support uh, is honestly the best thing that others can do for those that are still actively searching and of course if they know another avenue to search offering that advice but just being supportive and and acknowledging the time and energy and emotions that have gone into searching but also on the other sense, you know, I like to hear people that have reunited. I mean, not all people that have reunited, it's, it's not always a happy story. It's not always what you had in your mind it would be. It's not that fairy tale ending. Uh, oh, I think hardly ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, and then dealing with that on the other end. So I think we feel connected, I mean, in a sense of, in a different way. Like you're, even though you reunited not you specifically but even though adoptees have reunited they're dealing with a whole other side now of keeping in touch of not keeping in touch of finding out what the real story was behind their adoption and processing all of that so in one sense we're processing not finding our family and feeling those emotions but on the other side people that have even reunited are feeling immense strong emotions as well and they may be different but somehow they might intersect and i was also um wondering as a past participant of first trip home what do you think what would you have wanted to know back then like you know just before going on one of these um yeah motherland tours um or like what advice might you offer to adoptees doing first trip home or a similar kind of trip or or about to start a birth family search sure um i think honestly just to uh, be content at the time you're going into this without any expectations because until you are present and really understand what and taking all the emotions I mean you're gonna feel every emotion possible I mean at least I did and that's okay and to feel it and own it don't bury it don't ever bury it because it only comes back stronger later and just to go in without expectations really um and just kind of to know that it could be emotionally it could be really emotional 
and to reach out for support with either other adoptees or a friend or whoever you reach out to so that you don't feel alone because it's overwhelming. And um, with if, you, if you're considering searching for your birth family, uh, just to make sure you're ready uh, for both possibilities of finding your birth family, whether that be you find them and then all the possibilities and scenarios that can arise from that, whether they want to meet or not meet, um, and then also the possibility of not finding them because both can bring on other intense feelings as well. Um, but just to make sure you're ready and you can go as slow or as fast as you want with your search. Um, you know, just there are different organizations to help. So there are resources out there and to utilize those, those people and those organizations because they're there to help us. They're supposed to be allies. Do you think you can, like, how do you know when you're ready? Do you think you can be ready? Like, probably not 100%, right? Yeah, because you don't, I don't think you can be 100% ready because you don't know what, what you're going to find. But when the urge is strong enough and when it's the right time for you, uh, even yes. just starting to send an email to KAS or an email to your adoption agency. Um, it's different yeah. now, you know, there's different rules today, like, you can't get your birth mother's information or birth fathers they're hesitant to give away names and information without the birth mother's consent so it's a little harder to get all the information that I feel like we're entitled to in some sense yeah um absolutely and don't pay for anything <laughs> I've heard people pay yeah. oodles of money to pay for their records and I'm like no these are your records there's no reason you should pay for them so if any if anyone gets told they need to pay I would definitely check with an organization into the truth behind that because I certainly don't want you paying oodles of money for something that you shouldn't have to. Um, I even object to paying like some kind of like small, you know, admin fee. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> Personally. Yeah. That I, I don't think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything else like you randomly wanted to add? Anything else you wanted to share or... Um, you know, honestly, like, just reach out. Um, there's a lot of advocacy and about citizenship with adoptees. If you want to get involved with that, there's a lot of support in the Korean adoptee community out there, either on social media or in person. There's a lot of, a lot of times there's local adoptee groups. Go to one. You might be surprised at how much you fit in. <laughs> yeah, or at least um, there are always there are at least online networks. Like if you're um, right in a really remote place, yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you can join an online community and just reading posts that make me feel not alone. I mean, the first time I went to the adoptee conference, it was a con conference, and it was in Hershey here where I live. And um, I remember we we're all going to a restaurant, and it was hilarious because we were all like, "Wait." We can't all ride in the front seat, but wait, we all get motion sick. Wait, oh, you can't have dairy either? <laughs> wait, you flush, you get flushed when you drink alcohol? Me too. Like, it's just. <laughs> it's a really nice feeling too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. All right. <laughs> you get me. You get me. Were you always like actively involved in the adoptee community? Like before First Trip Home? No, not at all. Yeah, same. I really like it. Took it, it just exploded 
with, with feeling the need to connect in the adoptee community. I was like, here's a place that I feel I belong and I'm welcomed and that I don't have to explain myself to. Yeah. And that they share some deep understanding without having to say what I'm feeling, that they get it. Um, and then offer, I mean, really advocate, advocating and educating even adoptee parents, I feel as well as younger adoptees. Like I had my experience growing up and I want them to have support growing up. Um, adult or, and then adult adoptees, we share experiences and then adoptee parents as well. Like they, they want to learn everything they can. They want to do it right. And I want to be there to offer that support and that open their minds into what I went through and what I'm still going through so that they can prepare themselves and have those conversations when they're child's ready yeah so yeah I mean it's it's a community out there uh not everyone's happy not everyone's angry everyone feels and thinks their own thing and just to be mindful of that that not everyone processes everything the same way so anyways (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much like I feel like this has been one of the um one of the like deepest and most um intimate conversations that we've like had on the podcast definitely and i think it's because you've been in the community for so long and because you've been going on this journey for so long that you're able to like speak about thing these things so well and yeah so thanks thanks so much for talking about all these hard things with me yeah thanks for having me i really hope someone listening it can bring them some sense of of peace and some positivity to feel like they're not alone (laughs) friend us on instagram and facebook at adopted feels podcast we're on twitter at adopted feels and as always we'd love to hear from you so please get in touch via email you can reach us at adoptedfeels at gmail.com and if you have a minute please rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you're listening just wondering it's like um so it's like national adoption awareness month now right right? november yeah what do you think about it what's your opinion on it i think it brings up a lot of mixed feelings among adoptees adoptee parents uh i think i don't know if a lot of you have read the article if you've read the, the uh post by an adoptee that basically says that you know she's an adoptee and she's not celebrating adoption yes by Um, stephanie drenka it's very good very good read uh not everyone may feel that way and that's okay but it spoke to me i mean really it did because i think it's okay to celebrate in a sense but it's also to listen to adoptees and their stories like she said and to really know the history behind adoption and the flaws that we've created yeah and in a sense is that something to celebrate yeah, it's we. I mean, even the name is kind of. I think she mentions that as well. The, yes. the name is a little bit weird, right? Like people, people know what adoption is. They know it exists. Like what? what yeah, yeah. Anyway, I mean, the name suggests that it's like it's a promotional thing. It's like right. Yeah, you're right because everyone's aware of it. Yeah, right? like oh, consider yeah. adoption. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs>